fetch your dogs. Welcome to the Whovian Review. I'm Michael. I'm Shelby. My not-so-secret identity is Colin. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm Jace. And tonight we're going to do the Survivors of the Flux. So, real quick, I have something that I want to say. Hmm. So, the last episode, we had the cliffhanger, which was the doctor turning into a weeping angel. Epic. Epic. Mm-hmm. Monumental. Consequential. What he said. And then we go into this episode, and it literally just starts out as the doctor just undoing, turning into a weak angel. She was transported by the angel. Well, no, she was. I just thought, like, we could have had, like, a little bit more of, like, a dramatic scene. But at the same time, how can you make that more dramatic? They are stone. It's not like they're going to go around and blah, 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 blah. Well, but but on, on top of that, they even took out the heartbeat of a Time Lord from the Doctor Who theme in the last episode. So we knew that going from that episode... I didn't notice that. She was, she was probably dead or probably turned to stone because her heart had to have stopped for that point in time. So mm-hmm. I totally agree with your point. It was kind of a letdown from one episode to the next where she basically was just like, oh, well, you're just transported. Nothing I, I yeah, think it was that like this is underwhelming. Actually, well, I think that that's, that's the drawback of having a multi-episode story like this and like more than two because it, stories don't, you know, necessarily have evenly sequenced cliffhangers in them. You but know, so like, so like, like, I think that this wouldn't have been... A problem if it had all been in one episode, like if the Doctor turned into a weeping angel and then shortly thereafter changed out of it, and we didn't have the break in between. I we feel just like really that wouldn't wanted have that been... cliffhanger. That's all that was. I think yeah. the other thing, though, is that you could have resolved... When you have a severe cliffhanger like the Doctor turning into a weeping angel, it would make sense to follow up with an actual meat-and-potatoes kind of... I hate saying it that way, but the, the I hear you. <laughs> meat and potatoes because it was a big reach. moment. Yeah, if if you if you're gonna have a huge moment at the end of one episode, you have to open with a huge moment that explains it. Not just be like, "Oh, Doctor, weeping angel, monumental, show stopping, never happened before." Sorry to quote Gaga a little bit, but then you just be like, "Oh, unraveled. She was just transported." And another thing too. Prior to, I think, either the last episode or the episode before that, we've never heard a Weeping Angel talk. However, we did have mm-hmm. um, the Weeping Angel mimic the voice of... What's his name again? Such a J? Jericho? Jericho. Yes. I'm forgetting him. Jericho. Well, also, Constatious. he took on this the, the voice of Bob from the Matt Smith episode, Time of Angels, because he was speaking through the intercom as Bob when Bob was trying to talk to the doctor. 
Um, we, but again, so we know that they can mimic voices. Um, well, actually, I think that that angel stripped out the vocal cords of the. Of oh, that could be. That could be. But we we know that they have the capability, but we've never, like you said, never heard them before. Exactly. So when the doctor was there after being transported and she was just like knocking on all the stones, being like, talk to me, say something. She I'm wasn't. She, yeah, she wasn't really shocked when they actually did speak back to her. And when we saw Jericho, like when the weeping angel was talking to him, it mimicked his voice. And I'm wondering if like the weeping angels there mimicked the voice of Jody because it sounded a lot like Jody if she just kind of slightly altered her voice. And I'm just kind of like, is this like the new kind of quality of the weeping angels that are going to move forward? Like they just like speak now. I'm also confused as to why the doctor wasn't surprised when she was just like, speak, talk to me. And they actually did reply. Like she wasn't like, well, yeah. and well, they just I mean, work for division had, now too. But I mean, she had just had a conversation with one in the previous episode. So I, I don't think, I mean, I think it makes sense that she wasn't surprised that it responded. She well, also, that was through a human. But she also couldn't have seen all of the weeping angels all at once. So they were, and they were obviously in a place where all weeping angels were surrounding her. So any of them could be talking at some point in time. May not have been the that's one she was looking at. I well, think I think fair. that's what was implied, though. I don't think it was implied that the one she was looking at was talking. We're talking about Claire. Oh no, the doctor. No, but we should because transported. you know Claire is somewhat of a weeping angel. Is she not anymore? It seems like she had she was going back and forth. Like, do we know for sure that the no. doctor is not a weeping angel anymore? Kind of a well, she, she she wasn't. She had a weeping angel living in her mind. Claire did. Claire did. So you're right. It was, and and we'd see like in that house precedence of you know in and here the time isn't, isn't like um, the doctor's mom just kind of be like, oh, she's in. What was the that weeping angel's consequence or punishment? What? Remember when, like, I don't remember her name. Tattooing? Tattooing, whatever. Tattooing. The doctor's mom um, says that that weeping angel, that tricked you or whatever, like, here she is, like, blah, blah, blah. Like, do you guys not remember that scene? No. I think I missed that. Was it when the doctor was talking to Tattooing? Yeah. No, I don't, I don't, I didn't catch that. Well, we got a glimpse of a weeping angel, and she was like, this is the angel, and this is where she lies now. Like, kind of, like, trapped and, like, stowed away or something like that. There's a fan theory that surfaced well before this episode aired that that weeping angels were actually time lords. Because they have the ability to send people back in time, it would make sense that the dying or dead uh, time lords... uh, are created in an image of a weeping angel later on in life. I, and and that that's one of the questions that a lot of people are they, have had. Are they sort of? You know, sometimes at least? Yeah, well... For transportation purposes? And, well, and it kind of solidified it. To when, be an extraction squad I, in the I, division? I actually want to point out mm-hmm. that, that the things I really like about the use of the weeping angels in here, because I felt that there was, that it was really interesting how they explored the quantum nature of them. Cause we've, you know, them being quantum beings has only really been a thing in the sense of they can't move when they're being observed. Right. And now we see some different uses of it. We see them use their quantum nature to be able to displace a town out of time. We see them use their quantum nature to be able to travel outside of a universe, which is theorized that that 
actually that quantum particles do move between universes. So it totally makes sense that the Weeping Angels would actually be a necessity to run division from the actual division between the universes because they're needed to transition between the different places. And if they can turn people into Weeping Angels, make them quantum beings temporarily, transport them, and then release the shell, I mean... Of course they were able to build a structure in between universes and to run things. And of course they need the Weeping Angels in Division because that's the only way they can pass messages or, you know, any sort of physical items. Yeah, so it sounds like, you know, we, we learn a lot here. You know, the Division is expansive. I, I wonder how far back it goes and oh, where its tendrils are and all the stories that we've seen with the Doctor. It seems like the Doctor's foibled a lot of Division, you know, standards and protocols and plans. Well, the um, thing is, I mean, Division could have started yesterday and still have affected every moment in time and space in our universe, because if they're outside the universe, feasibly they're outside this flow of time. Right. We just don't know. I, I found the most fascinating parts of this episode, this conversation between Tetayun and, and the Doctor. Um, we got a lot of information very quickly here. I, I think, and I, I saw this twice, and the first time it passed right over my head that Oh, by the way, yeah, the division, me, pretty much, I just caused the flux, by the way. Just seemed like the right thing to do. <laughs> and it was just mentioned in, like, passing. Well, it was, At like, specifically to get rid of all the these doctor? things about, yeah, uh, you're learning well, about the doctor's connection to this person and that they're outside of the universe. It all happened so quickly compared to everything else in the episode. It's funny you mention that because one of the criticisms of this episode that I've noticed is that the dialogue between Tektuan and the Doctor was almost too much, and there was just too much of it, and it was not... It was kind of just a back and forth that, for a lot of people, just was kind of either boring or just not... not quite what they were expecting from such an important character. I disagree mostly, but I also agree with a lot of parts because, you know, there's this whole like, oh, I raised you. I found you. I'm the one responsible for your loss of memories. I'm the one. Basically, she's responsible for the doctor being like who she is, who she is. Exactly. Exactly. So you would have expected like more of a drawn out emotional. Well, maybe not emotional, but like moment between the two and not what Colin said, like, oh, in passing. XYZ, XYZ, XYZ. I think there there are a lot of missed opportunities there in in this conversation, but I think even past that, just the way this whole series has been structured, this was some of the most productive conversation that we were really learning about what's happening with the flux, what is going on. We're understanding, we're seeing, you know, the puppeteer behind the strings. Um, we understand of all the, of like of the, the previous workings. season, right? right. So I think, it's I think it's, it's impactful, even if it's not done in the best way. You it, know, I would definitely say to it. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's done in the best way because you literally just have a huge speech mm-hmm. between two people, and although that's great, I think part of the part of the draw of Doctor Who has always been that there is some form of action. That explains the plot and the storyline. And we didn't get that much in this episode. We had a lot more of the drawn-out talking between people, with that, with, which with ever seen that they were in, this was a very dialogue-heavy episode. I think that was purposeful in terms of, you know, this was the second-to-last episode. They needed yes. to kind of get all the words and all mm-hmm. the explanations and out 
to make the last episode just be like the the big bang. I couldn't. I, I sorry. No, I get what you're saying, but again, I think one of the problems with this episode is that it is so much talking. As a standalone episode, you're dealing with just a lot of talking and not a whole lot yeah. of doing. You're right. And there is some things you can explain through actions that that don't that doesn't need to have all this exposition and all this extra talk. You shouldn't have to explain an action-based story all throughout an entire episode. It would make sense to have a little bit more of a creative way of showing it. Maybe go back and actually show what the division was. Because here you have... Like flashbacks? We've easily those. Sort of, but not enough. We didn't have enough of that, especially in this particular really episode. Are. And we also have... Um, we, we The very first explanation of the division is that it's inexplicable. That's really kind of grating on the nerves of just about anybody watching any series. Well, okay, so we can't really explain this, so we're just going to throw out what the division right. might be, but we're still not going to explain it because we want it to still be a mystery. Well, I, I kind of felt like she started by saying it was explicable and then explained it, and I was like, well, that was she explained True, but she explained it to a degree, but there's still a lot of unanswered questions about the division, like... I mean, what exactly is their purpose? What are they really doing? I think the doctor has those same questions, and we're supposed to kind of sit into the shoes of the doctor and be kind of just as confused as she is in that realm. I I think that really what it comes down to is, like, the same thing, you know? Every megalomaniac is after. They they think that they know how best to run things, and they want to do it that way. And you know, Well, I do. Well, I do know. Yeah. (laughs) And... You know, she oh. goes through and... Uh, I love your husband. Thank you. <laughs> I do, too. Every, everybody loves Colin. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, she's just like, oh, yeah, some worlds don't, you know, they do it wrong, so we get rid of them or we change them or, you know, whatever. Yeah, so there's a, there's a lot of uh, referencing to uh, Tunnel Man in, in this. And, you know, I didn't know that... Joseph was a real character from history for sure until this evening when I think we went into the internet archives, took a moment, really looked him up. So, Shelby, can you give us, like, some knowledge? Who, who is this guy? And that's what I thought yeah. was really cool. I was like, I like how Doctor Who just has the tendency to, like, take actual points in history that don't make a total amount of sense and make them into an episode. And given what Shelby's about to say, like, really just anchors that, like, no one actually knows what was going on with this guy in his tunnels. So what's this guy's name? <laughs> Joseph Williamson. Joseph wow, that, Williamson. that was credit and true, guys. You're welcome. <laughs> we're all very excited. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, obviously we were watching this and we were like, who is this Joseph Williamson guy? Why is Dan like, oh my gosh, it's you. Like, I'd never heard of him. None of us had. And so apparently, he, so he was in like the 1800s and he England. bought in England and he bought a bunch of land and he built a bunch of houses that were, quote, of the strangest description. And then he also started like building a bunch of tunnels and stuff. Um, and he also. Where were the tunnels? So the, <laughs> were they in Liverpool? Yeah. Okay. Dan's in Liverpool, so I figured oh, that's I think how so. everything started. That's classic yeah. Liverpool. <laughs> oh, <laughs> good. Well, you guys told me to stick to just the really interesting bits, so I didn't write it all down. <laughs> that's okay. Well, basically... Okay, so okay. it was... Um, he... 
Oh, he went to Long Broom Field on Mason Street, Edge Hill, Liverpool, England. Okay. The Earth, the universe. There you go. I mean, Very, which, uh, which universe in the, in the multiverse? Universe one. Universe um, one. Okay, the one we're in. The one we're in. All right. So uh, he bought a bunch of land there, and he built the houses and the tunnels. So I've got uh, some other quotes in here. Uh, Following this, he continued to employ workmen and recruited more to perform tasks that were basically useless, like moving materials from one place and then moving them somewhere else and then moving them back again. Mm, and he, then not even Doctor Who could explain that one. And then uh, using like building a labyrinth of underground halls and brick arch tunnels, which is what we're seeing in this episode. Um, he also became increasingly obsessed with it when his wife died and. Um, <laughs> In the 1930s, he came into contact with George Stevenson, the, you know, father of the, of the railroad. And that actually... He's been in Doctor Yeah, so I was going to say, he's been in Doctor Who before. Mark of the Ronnie. He was in Mark of the Ronnie. He was, like, a very uh, big character in it, so it's kind of funny those guys met in real life. Yeah. Um, that and, makes sense, because, you know, if, if you died, I'd probably start tunneling underneath the house. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I've got another uh, thing here that I've just got to share for, with you guys from Wikipedia on uh, his personality. On one occasion, he invited guests for dinner, but served them only a simple meal of porridge and hard biscuits. Many of the visitors then left. He described those who, was, who remained as his real friends and invited them to stay for a more lavish feast. I feel like this guy was portrayed pretty fantastically in this episode. I think so, too. He was like, I'm going to feed you guys poor people food. Weed all the fakers out and then, like, treat the hell out of the people who actually stayed. And I think one of the best scenes in this whole episode was when Yaz runs into Williamson and it is just like, here's why we're here. There's this disturbance in time. We're trying to fix it. And that was the most. Finally. Yes, that was the most doctor that sh- that Yaz has ever been, and that's what I was whispering in oh, Michael's yeah. ear. Because the doctor would literally funny. walk up to someone and just be like, "Here's the situation, accept it," and the person's like, "Um, okay." But in this case, he was like, "Yes, finally, someone understands it. Someone's making some sense. Follow me. Let me show you what I have going on." I know it was so great I on love every side of yes. it because I've always, yeah, I've always wanted to see Yaz. Yes, I've always wanted to see another character respond to the doctor in that way. That's that reminds me. At the beginning of the episode, when we first went into Raz, Raz, yes, 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 <laughs> um, and her team, there is speak of a pot, a pot in which would pre- not predict, but tell us the day in which the world was going to end. I thought that that was incredibly confusing, as this pot has never been brought up before, and we don't know where it came from. Oh. They did actually sort of explain at least what they were attempting to do. Is yes. the doctor's when we message. got the doctor's hologram, yeah, the projection. Yeah. So the doctor was like, "You need to find out when the world's going to end." Yada 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 yada. Yeah. But I just find it so interesting and so like Aztec calendar of them to just like run into this pot and. Well, I don't think they read. Like, I think that they spent you know like three years going through and studying archaeology. It was a very, like, Indiana Jones, Amelia Peabody-esque type That was of River's comeback. With, uh... River's comeback. She made the pot. She left I'm, the pot. She was like, yeah, find this doctor. I still love you. Go find... <laughs> no, fix the flux. No, 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 The doctor was saying that there was going to be wish. some prophecies, like... Yeah, no, you know, I know. throughout time, and it stuff. just would have been nice sense. for this to have been like a river, like <laughs> plotting, putting this there. <laughs> they doing did the attempt research. humor with this whole, this whole Dan and Jericho thing, where they're falling down into the pit, just like Indiana Jones style. But I, I don't know that it quite worked for Doctor Who. 
I liked it. It was. I, um, I thought that this whole episode, <laughs> starting from that scene and you know having it's obviously the climax at the when she meets Williamson is just Yaz being the doctor of basically. Oh, oh Yaz was great. Right, I mean, a she doubt. was you know phenomenal. Like it, even it was though she amazing. put blankets over her and, mom. In her, that, oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh my god. She had so missed. much time to cut that fuse. She was probably in shock. She was like, "There's something about to explode. Get everyone out of here." When you're in shock. Sometimes you have a hard time gauging what to do, but at the same time, you're a police officer. You need to know what yeah, to but do. Yeah, but yeah. Yaz in shock. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I thought she was trying doctor. to smother yeah, that, that fuse, point. but like, really, she was like thinking that these blankets would be explosive proof? Like, I, I yeah, don't know. Yeah, that's the point. Like, you're you're a trained officer. Like, you should know how to better handle these situations. You shouldn't be in shock, so I was confused well, by that I'm more, we're, I'm more confused about all the trained writers that let this happen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true, too. Come on, the writers. It, uh, might, it might have been on the props, team. Maybe they couldn't get the, the fuse to stay. <laughs> there's there's some Maybe. equation there, but I don't think it was. It was yeah, they, they, that should have just been cut out instead. <laughs> yes, I agree. Um, I think we should mention another character in this particular story. The that, hermit. Mm, I wasn't going with the hermit just yet. I was going to suggest the great the grand serpent because the grand serpent really comes mm. into this piece in a very serious way. Oh, Eunice like, tears him apart, and I love that. Well, Kate Stewart. Kate, 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 yeah. yeah, Kate Stewart yeah. does. Yeah, um, he, Kate Stewart telling him off. That was great. I yeah. want to marry her. You do have Kate Stewart coming back. Unfortunately, her role is very short. And, and no, but but that scene with her in the Grand sweet. Serpent was, was oh, phenomenal. Ew, it, was it was phenomenal. Badass. I agree. And he's the problem with with him coming in in 1958 to start help start Unit that really screws around with the dates that UNIT was actually created in the first place. Because, date, first of all, we already know UNIT has a problem to begin with because the original concept was that UNIT was actually happening with the third Doctor in the 1980s, although it was the second Doctor in 1967 that meets up with um, Colonel Lethbridge-Stewart, which they did get the date right with Colonel Lethbridge-Stewart in this case, but they threw in the third Doctor's TARDIS in this particular episode to show that they had found the TARDIS. Yeah, that was really off That was really strange and didn't make any sense unless that was the second Doctor's TARDIS that they had found in yet another circumstance. Although it seemed, it looked very much like... Are you able to differentiate between the different TARDISes and the different Doctors? To a degree, yes. There are differences within within Doctor Who lore. During the black and white era... The, the first Doctor had a specific TARDIS, the second Doctor... Yeah, they used to be black and white before they were blue. <laughs> Just so y'all no. know, he is wearing a Doctor Who zip hoodie. I mean, a TARDIS, a TARDIS zip yes. hoodie uh, once we right get the, now, the, as we speak. live video stream, the, you know... The exterior of the TARDIS does change, and the third Doctor's yes. TARDIS was very specific to the third Doctor, and this one particularly does look like that third Doctor TARDIS. Whether that m- means that it was the third Doctor's, that was never really explained. It was but, just a TARDIS, and people were supposed to just take it as it was. Well, it was obviously the Doctor's TARDIS, because it's a London police box. But yeah. we don't know which incarnation it belongs to. Technically, it should be the second Doctor's if it's 1967. I mean, if the Doctor can fall out of a wormhole, why can't a random you know, doctor, police box that isn't a TARDIS fall out of a wormhole? You know, it, a, could, it could be. It could be. Although, it would have just made everyone's lives easier if it was just like one regeneration behind TARDIS. It or, con- or if it just like wasn't there. <laughs> well, it's that conveniently too. placed for the fans, but it doesn't make sense time-wise. And adding all this 1958 stuff, 
it does give a little background for unit, but I'm just wondering because the, with the dating, it just doesn't make sense. Because Colonel Lethbridge Stewart basically says in the 1967 story, The Invasion, that or the 1968 story, The Invasion, that he is just starting it at that point himself. They had just gotten it together. So it just, it kind of seemed a little bit of a tampering with history. Now, maybe the flux had something to do with it. I don't know, but that didn't make sense because Earth was supposed to be protected. So, yeah, go figure that out. Well, I mean, like, so there was an allusion to him being maybe like like a time traveler. So it, you know, maybe this is just him coming back and and messing up time. Well, he was obviously a time traveler because he was he looked the same and was going. Well, he also could have just been someone who didn't age, but yeah, true. But he was also going to all different parts of units' history and Mm -hmm. and trying to interfere with it. Although the question remains: is why is the grand uh, serpent doing such a thing. Now, one because thing, he's a snake, and that's one thing that I wanted to point out was that a lot of a lot of us thought, well, maybe this is the master because if you go back, I to, never thought that once. Well, if you go back to in in history, and I won't say when, just in case you watch it later, there is a particular story where the doctor becomes more serpent like, and then mm. retain and then takes over yet another body because we all know that that the master from classic Doctor Who started off as the master and then had to take over other people's bodies in order to further his regenerations. Did he ever look like a graboid from Tremors that was gold, you know, while doing it back in Um, the day? Or is that a new... He looked like a serpent. That's all I can say. So that was kind of a... It was kind of a nod to the past of the master. And the fact that he's working with the Centaurans in this particular episode to, to better his own ends or means makes it very master-like. The master always tried to deal with Daleks and, and Yeah, but the master also had a huge ego. Well, which the, the grand, grand serpent really didn't have. He was very incognito, very hidden. Classic master was very suave. So this could very well be I would like to watch my episode in which I witness this suave because all I see is cringy new who doctor that them. just wants everyone's attention. Then we're going to have a third doctor who is fun soon for your master oh, pleasure. No. For my master pleasure. I thought pleasure. the last doctor <laughs> was pretty suave until you understood and saw his craziness. Yes. But, you know, he, he could be very suave and fashionable kind of thing. Well, even Missy had her moments of suave and sophisticated. Oh, yeah, for sure. But but if you really look at classic Who, especially Roger Delgado's master, he is the epitome of suave. Where Although he does have a massive ego. We, we can't... Oh, well, of that. course. Well, masters <laughs> That's the doctor's egos, character. You know? I mean, he calls I mean, himself, calls the, himself master. the master. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like we've got that in stereo. And now we're calling him that, too. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was a that, but going back to your your original idea of the um, the guy on top of the mountain. Oh, the hermit! Oh, he was great. He was hilarious. I loved like his whole thing. I mean, and it was just he was so socially awkward, and it was perfect because like, I mean, he's a hermit. He doesn't interact with people very often, and it's by choice. And yeah, but he was, he was clearly wise, and he had great. Chemistry with Eustatius Jericho. Oh my gosh, it was. It, and he, he doesn't get to tease people. Oh yeah, it it was it was so it was so, you know, refreshingly hilarious. I it thought was, it was cringe. 
I thought it was a little bit It's a little off. It was a little off for me, but at the same time, it kind of makes sense for a hermit. I feel like if they just, like, kind of built up, like, oh, we're going to meet this guy a little bit more, it would have been, like, like built it up a little bit, and meeting him, being, like, the goofball that he is would have had more of an impact instead of being like, oh, we're at a hermit's place, let's talk to him. Oh, I thought yeah. it was sort of, like, classic going up to find the sage on the mountain type of setup and... uh but, but yeah, I in see the middle of the conversation, you do learn that they've spent days trying to get up this mountain. Yeah. And and he was like, it. I watched you. You need to work <laughs> out. You guys suck. But that's the thing is that I agree with you, Jace. I think there needed to be – the problem with Chibnall's writing in this particular episode is that there's and, – and some of the other episodes that he's done is that there's just so much crammed into one thing. And it doesn't go very far. Maybe it or there's not enough explanations. I mean, you're right. There's there's like one task that's getting done. You know, they show when they're back in time, and in it, you see Eustatius clean shaven, and then you know they're like, two seconds like, later. Two seconds later, beard. he's a full beard, and that's it's the exact same time of day and the exact same setting, <laughs> and it just <laughs> and doesn't make like, sense. Yeah, it's just like you're trying to say that time is passing, but it's like it's all just crammed together. Yeah, that yeah, like could it also didn't be even turn production. dark yeah, and turn I mean, light again. Like, arguably, bro. you know, at this point, you know, and and I don't know, but just from like the facial hair and the years and the journeys that these guys are taking, it seems like Yaz is spending a lot more time with Dan and Eustatius than she ever did with Graham and Ryan. Yeah. Well, she did spend a whole three and a half years with them, going from 1901 to 1904. So. Oh, that's a good point. So, yeah, she point. definitely is. That Dan is like the person that she really is holding on to at this point. I mean, did, did it strike anyone else as strange, like, how far they traveled in the space of a year? I mean, because we started, we came into them at, like, 1904. Like, oh, three years have passed. And then in that space of the year, because they started out where? In, like, Argentina or something? And then... How are they finding and then they this? Then they went to, like, I don't know, somewhere in... It Probably was through like unethical Turkey, means. I think. <laughs> and then they went to China. And I'm like, with the resources of the early 1900s, how did they, like... Pull that off. <laughs> she was being very doctor and managed to sneak her way into like transport and know people and make connections and stuff. It would like have knowledge of the future. Maybe it would have made better sense if they had discovered Williamson's caverns or tunnels and all the doorways beforehand, and then they could go from 1901 to 1904. So they didn't have that whole journey, but they already knew that there were these points in time. And then Williamson comes and explains it to them. That would have. No, no I mean, I, no, I was fine with them spending that amount of time. I just thought it was weird the way they spaced it out. I mean, they had three years to work with there. They could have, you know, been like 1902, 1903, 1904. Well, also, and Dan gets relegated to, like, the, the, the easy role of just kind of being there and not really doing a whole lot. He's under the bed. He's, he's kind of pushed to the side while Jericho and Yaz, now Yaz comes into true form in this well, they, they gave Dan, Dan a pretty cool beard at one point, too. Well, that also didn't make much sense because he had the he had the beard and Jericho didn't, and then Jericho has the beard. So, yeah, it's just extra time passing. I, I, Continuity yeah, here uh, was a little yeah. off, I think. I, I thought but, you it, know, it, was it was kind of funny forward. their uh, their message to to Carvanistaff just being like, "Dance here, nineteen oh four. He's like, him. "I can't travel in time, you idiots! What are you trying to make me do here?" Oh well. We definitely did jump through a lot of times and time zones in this particular story. Yeah. All mostly on Earth. 
Yeah, we did different characters. Bell uh, met up with a uh, carbonista. That was that happened as well. We also had Bender running into a passenger. Diana. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. He was definitely running around the desert with a gun. I remember that. Yeah, he, I mean, I assume he thought that Bell was in there and <laughs> ran after. Or at because, least hoping. Well, yeah. I mean, like that's why he does everything. So. Well, and then he finds Diane or Diana, who is there, thanks to passenger as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What else haven't we covered? Um, did we go into the oud? No. Oh, there were oud. Tatooine did have an oud servant. Yeah, who you know at first was you know being obedient to it, but pretty quickly swayed over to the doctor's side. So this seems like an oud, you know, post Planet of the Oud. Yeah, I mean, like, um, all, all different races and species were recruited into division. I mean, well, yeah, and, and of course we've got the doctor has a fob watch with her memories in it that's hanging out in this room. And and she's called to it, so obviously that's got to be all the suppressed memories that, that the Time Lords had taken away. Right. And, and obviously... Chris Chibnall is taking his timeless child storyline and running with it. He's he's making it as canon as possible. And then cutting it short so Doubling no one down. can build on it be- when he kills off Tectoon after she just like Oh, that was know. a major waste in, it, it, in it was. It was like so like we had this very slow build up where they throw hints about this, you know, character find out, oh, this Tectoon who, you know, rescued the doctor from an abandoned planet and then performed, you know, experiments on her, like, unceasingly for God knows how long, and then recruited her into Division and continued with the experiments and forced her to do things and everything before ordering, taking her memories out, and then is like, oh, why aren't you calling me mama anymore? (laughs) Totally. I, well... And that's why I yeah, think I had it. Yeah, and that was it. I, yeah, I, it's like bringing a bad Gallifrey just to destroy it all again. Right. And then take half the universe with you. Right. And, like, yeah. I, I have a feeling that Chris just likes to kind of tease us with what with characters and locations and then just take them away, right away again. For no real reason. Well, we'll see what he wraps up. You know, the, there's well, still but, more but, season but, but to go. But what else is there to wrap up about Tectoon? I mean, now she's dead. She's dead. So it's like um, um, the only possibility. How many times have this, has the master died? Good point. The only possibility is that it's not a death. It's more of a like absorption or a teleportation, a passenger like and like in the Avengers, kind of. Or even like, or even <laughs> like um, the mm. Dalek story where Missy is transported by the Daleks, or just be, uh-huh. because they shoot her and you think she's dead, but oh, obviously yeah. it was a transport that she had. Yeah, the, which is familiar. Would would Tatooine actually be smart enough to have something that would transport her before she was killed off by I mean, these, by swarm? She didn't I mean, look like she was killed off. She's supposed to be the leader of division. That's outside of all universe. But she was also universe. shocked that they were there. She was shocked that they were there. This is true. But, I mean, here's the thing is that she's supposed to be one of the smartest people. She was the one that was experimenting on the Doctor. She she basically built the entire Time Lord society all by herself before going out in the universe and then becoming part of the Division. You'd think that she'd have some foresight in all this. <laughs> well, I thought it was weird that, like, the Doctor 
was like, so is what the master told me true? And Tech Dune's like, yes, it was. Because she knows exactly what the master told the doctor. Like, like what was that? Maybe they were in cahoots. Or well, the telepath, the, maybe the, the telepath between Time Lords was, was acted there. But that, it, it just it wasn't, like, wasn't explained at all. No, it wasn't explained at all. I, what did the master say? That's what that would have been my reaction if I was Texas. Yeah, yeah, maybe she dropped the hints to the master like in previous, uh, like the previous series, and then the master just told the doctor that. Like maybe there's see some that stuff would have been on. interesting if if they had said something like if that had been it if they, if she yeah, like, like yes I approached the master I told them all this so I knew it would get to you yeah exactly that way you would question who you are and come to me and we could like verify I don't know. Yeah, that that would have been great. That that would have I would have been happy with that explanation. Another part of that that this whole thing is that the doctor ends up becoming almost the companion in this story because she's the one that's asking every single question and she has all the questions that we have. But yeah. And this is very unusual for the doctor because usually the doctor is the person who has the answers. Well, I mean the doctor often goes to the villain with a series of questions, but usually it's not just that. Well, there's something behind the questions. In this case, it, the doctor's literally asking the question because she has no clue what the heck's going on. Which makes sense because her her memories from the past are stored in this fob watch. But at the same time, it just seems like it's a very uncharacteristic Doctor Who storyline to have that. That's all I'm saying. It's fine to have her questioning herself, I guess. <laughs> it makes sense. Yeah, I thought um, I thought Jodie's acting was really good in this, though. I thought she had a lot of very subtle, very powerful reactions to a lot of different things throughout. Indeed. And there's just, like, really one final question. You know, with the universe, the one that we learn about right next to the universe, too, and with parts of the universe just fading, you know, out. Where's the soul tracks in all of this? <laughs> the soul tracks. I, I feel like that's out of this era of Dr. Who, you know, one of the best characters. I mean, yeah, the episode wasn't phenomenal, but the character of the soul tracks. I love the concept. You know, a, a sentient like universe. It, it seems to be connected to our, our universe. Is it universe two? I mean, Are we smuggling in all of our, you know, DNA and friendship to finally be friends with the soul tracks? Is that well, is that divisions? You know, new goal to just be friends with the next universe? Or, I, I don't think that friendship's what they're after. Um, Doesn't sound like it. It's <laughs> not, it's not Jibnall's tone. But, you know, it would kind of make sense for the soul tracks to, you know, see what's going on and try to interfere. Now, you know, if that happens next episode, if the soul tracks sweeps in, saves the day, and defeats I was the gonna plots, say if the that would have been soul that saves would the day. Be a phenomenal ending. I so mean, I hope that's where we they stand. Go with the soul this. tracks, you know, on this podcast, of course. I mean, mm-hmm. but you know, but to I, have like I, I, to actually have, have a lead in the fandom, we haven't gotten another heir to the solo tracks since. Yeah, but you know, if we're dealing with multiple universes now, you know, we've got a sentient one out there. That could be a really, really great comment back. I will say this, uh, this is a little unrelated, but um, I think that Azure and Swarm, uh, with their psychotemporal bridge that they use all those humans to gain energy to then go to the division, although that's, I don't know how scientifically possible that is, all I'm going to say is that that's pretty severe for a villain to do. They're, they basically are interested in creating the destruction of an entire universe uh, 
Mm-hmm. And yeah. on top of that, they are utilizing the power of all these other people to then get to where they want to go. Well, it makes them a rather... It seems like they are a very formidable foe. And, of course, at the end of this episode, you've got them destroying Tatooine, which, of course, we've already talked about being kind of silly. But then now they're going after the Doctor, as this cliffhanger suggests. Well, and and hopefully we'll get some more explanation on this later, because, like, so far I feel like their motivation hasn't really made a lot of sense. Like, we've got... You know, they're just like, oh, time and space are at war with each other, which just right off the bat doesn't make any sense. And then, (laughs) I mean, then like, and then they're all like, oh, well, we want to destroy all the, all of space. And it's just like, what? It's not, it's like, I mean, so the, the Daleks are a little bit what on, but like when they want to destroy reality, at least it was like, uh, we want everything to be left to only be Daleks. Not like we literally just want to destroy everything in the universe just for the heck of it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, that it's, it's a strange motivation. You do the, all that work in time when, you know, if you really just wanted nothingness, I mean, at least from your own perspective and all, you know, objective reality related to you. In your worldview, you could, you know, take yourself out of the equation, and there's nothingness, you know, potentially there. But yeah, I will say this too: is that one thing this episode does get some credit for is um, the scenes when the when Yaz actually does see the Doctor in that in that message she sends. There's some very touching moments there. You really feel like Yaz is yearning for the Doctor at that point. The music is almost dead on perfect. It There is an atmosphere about this episode that does help with all the convoluted mess that comes with it. <laughs> I just thought that underlying part, some of the underlying parts of this episode definitely help out. Yeah, I think that... Um it's safe to say from my perspective that I would rate Yaz a 10 out of 10 for this episode. <laughs> well, how would you rate the rest of the episode, Shelby? Um, well, you know, this one, it, you know, it had a lot of really great stuff in it that I really loved. Um, and it had a lot of stuff in it that was, you know, really bugged me. <laughs> so I'm, I'm a little on the fence, to be honest. Um, I thought, let's see. I thought Yaz in general and her interactions with Dan and Jericho were great. Um, I thought, you know, old like that thing with Williamson, especially after we looked him up and figured out who he was. I thought that that stuff was great. That was a great scene. We had a great scene with Kate and the Grand Serpent. We had um, some great moments with the Doctor and Tectoon. And uh, I thought the concept of the Division was, uh, was interesting and made a lot of sense and their use of the weeping angels was um made a lot of sense and was just a really interesting and new take on their quantum nature which i thought was great um but yeah there was a lot in here that you know wasn't done super well and i thought that you know the whole tech day thing was pretty disappointing i feel like swarm and azure whenever they show up it's disappointing (laughs) and um but I am going to give this one a 7 out of 10, um, just because I loved Yaz so much in it. <laughs> Yaz gives it a 7. I'm going to go next to Shelby real quick. I'm going to have to agree. I'm going to have to go with a 7 as well. I think Yaz and, like, 
going to call it her companions is kind of really what made this episode. You see the, the um, not the doctor, you see Yaz really stand up for herself, take a lead, take on a lot of doctor-like characteristics, roles, and behavior, and that takes her very, very far in a short span of time, which I thought was incredibly impressive, especially with that scene down in the tunnels in which she's like, okay, there's some crazy stuff going on, and here's what's going down. And the guy was like, thank you. Um, there was some parts in which, you know, I agree that could have been a lot better, especially when we ran into, like, the doctor's mom for the first time. I felt like that should have been, like, a big holy grail of all of who, because never did we ever actually get to see the person who basically Mm -hmm. was responsible for, like, the doctor's trauma and also the doctor's triumphs in a way. Um, but I think that's all, all I really have to say. Well, I noticed um, a couple of things you didn't, you guys didn't get to was... You are reading for the season so yeah, far. Yeah, th- that's what I was going to say. I you guys are in tune. Um, yeah, I think that by reading for the season, I am going to give a 7.5 with awe. You, know? you mean like this six-parter, right? Yeah, as of part five. Okay. Um, I think I'm going to give it a nine. All right, so... Um, yeah, I, I think you guys cover a lot of good things. I mean, it's interesting going third now because you're saying a lot of things and I'm, I'm echoing them. Yaz had a lot of good parts here. Um, I, I liked um, opportunities um, to have, you know, Tete Hoon and the Doctor together. I think there were lost potentials and opportunities in that conversation. But um, what I really like is, is that we got a lot of, you know... Um, answers to what was going on or at least some direction for the rest of the season um even if we got some more questions um in the process as well uh but this was i i thought it was a it was an episode that had a lot of missed potential as i've said before not not much else to go on but there was enough impactful moments and enough fun um, despite some uh, cloudiness, I would say, in the episode, that I would give it a 7 out of 10. Um, but that being said, because it you know helped to move the plot forward, uh, just because of the really impactful conversations with Tetayun, even though um, you know she was killed off early, and I wish the conversation went a little bit differently, was structured and paced differently, um, it was still impactful and important for the season nonetheless. So it's going to continue to have a season uh, rating of eight for me, despite a seven for the episode. Well, <clears throat> there are some positive things. I agree. Yaz brings in at least four points right off the bat just for her portrayal, or her, or well, Mandip Gill's portrayal of Yaz is dead on. She literally kicked the ass of someone in this episode. <laughs> Pardon my French, but it was that was kind of like, wow, here we go. Now Yaz is showing her police force. Um, I, I, I didn't quite get why Dan was sidelined so much in this episode, so that was a negative for me. A lot of characters seemed to go a whole lot of nowhere in this episode. Yes, there were some important conversations. Yes, we had some good moments throughout the episode. Um, did it set up an ending? To a degree, yes. It did send up... It, it certainly put a whole bunch of questions in our mind, like what is the Grand Serpent doing? And what, and what are his motivations? And who really is he? 
Um, obviously, he's a foil for Vinder because that was explored earlier in the season. We don't know where that's going. Um, Swarm and Azure, what is their goal? Obviously, they wanted to get to the division, but what are they going to do with the division? We don't know. Um, the Tatooine um, storyline is kind of thrown at us here in this episode and then taken away from us without much, without really any resolve. But what's even worse for me is there's no emotional value. We don't... I, I really didn't care that she passed away at all. Yeah, it was kind of necessary for her to stick around so we could probably know a little bit more or to have something else explained or have something going on. But... I, I mean, the fact that she died, okay, whatever. And it was okay, whatever, for the doctor, too. She had no emotional stakes in it because she doesn't have her memories. Right. Which kind of makes some sense, but at the same time, the doctor being the, such a caring person, she should care. Yeah, it's, it's still yeah. Just, it isn't satisfying. It yeah. was no, not satisfying at all. Um, I. It just seemed like, like Chris Chibnall tends to do. He crammed a lot into this, and he now has to resolve a lot or at least attempt to resolve a lot in the final episode and does he have enough time to do so i don't know we'll find out but i'm gonna give this a five out of ten for being the fifth episode no just kidding i actually don't think five i think five is a very legitimate i think it i think it might be slightly generous but i think i think it's Yaz propels it up a little bit, and, and some of the, I mean, George or, um, Williamson character was kind of interesting, too. There, there is intrigue in this episode. I just, it fell flat. And for me, I just, I, I don't know. I, I feel like this is going nowhere, but we'll find out. I so hope for the season, season it? For the season, um, I think last week it was up at an 8, which is quite good. Uh, with this 5, I'm going to have to bump it down to a 7 out of 10. Um, almost a 6.5, actually. That's fair. I, I feel a lot what you're feeling. Um, honestly, it's funny because um, coming through in the first pass, I rated this a lot more highly in my mind Same. than coming through in the second pass. I um, agree. So I, I, I think we've been riding a lot on a lot of intrigue, a lot of big moments, a lot of, you know, big, interesting questions, and we're lingering for the answers. So I hope for a lot of answers next week. All right. Talk to you guys then. All right. Take care, everybody. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. <laughs>